Hey up and welcome to episode 13 on Lucky for Some of the Forever Forest podcast. I'm your host, Freebs, and I've just worked out today that my first Forest game was 30 years ago. Gerin Ode, mate. That's what I've written here. And I was nearly said Gerin, then I realised I was trying to do a Nottingham accent. Uh, we've had a week off watching England qualify for the World Cup next year. Uh, other nations are available. And Forest returned to us on Saturday away at the Bob Carroll G's Car Hire Stadium or whatever it's now called in Reading. Not a classic performance by any means, but being Forest, one that has sparked debate about strikers shooting and the importance of the result over the performance. We will discuss the game in a moment, and during this episode, we will have another round of Guess the Garibaldi. That's a new voice I'm doing it in, apparently. And we will devote most of the running time to a special guest. But who is joining you this week to discuss this smorgasbord of Forest Freebs? You seem to be shouting. Well, let me tell you. I don't know why I sound like I've just run somewhere. I've not. I'm well out of shape. Uh, anyway, better get to the gym after this. First up, a chap who, if I had to sum up our recent interactions online, I would describe it thus. Very wordy this week. I'm very proud of myself. Discussed him buying an Xbox. He bought one. Then we had a three-way discussion with David Bowie's son about how we could all be a family of action men. The internet is a wonderful place, eh, Dan White? All true, all true. It's been a good week. It's all true. He went, sorry, who, who's Duncan Jones? That's David Bowie's son. We're chatting to there, Dan. <laughs> a lovely moment. Um, next up, a lady who I've said numerous times needs her introduction, and then I go and introduce her. So this time I'll get it right. <clears throat> a lady that needs no introduction. Hello. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Am I now introducing you? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that actually worked for once. Uh, it just saved me making up some lies about Easter eggs or something. Oh, that was you, Dan. You eat Easter, egg, Easter eggs in your pants in the uh, garage, don't you? And <laughs> another lie. And finally, um, after uh, a gentleman who probably gave zero figs that England qualified for the World Cup because he's Irish, but also because he was too busy making his international commentary debut in Wales, it's Steve Corrie. I don't know why I said after. Hi, Steve. Hello, guys. Good to be back. How do you feel about Southgate's contract extensions? Uh, you know, I heard that today. Yeah, fair, fair play to him. He deserves it, doesn't he? I mean, after, uh, you know, impartial, but after the World Cup getting semis, I thought, well, he's not going to better that, but then going one better at the Euros. And who knows, you know, 364 days away from the next World Cup. I definitely got a semi during the World Cup. I know Dan was thinking the same. That's why I just threw that one in there. Uh, yeah, he's earned it. Let's have a little bit of England talk. Yeah, definitely got money in the bank, as they say, hasn't he, with uh, what England manager has gone a semi in the World Cup and a final. So we'll take that. Um, so as I said, we'll talk about uh, Reading away. It turns out I don't think any of us have watched the game. Well, a few. I think Dan watched the whole game whilst chatting with David Bowie's son. Uh, and I watched the majority of it. Lisa was having a good old time with her wonderful gran. And Steve, what were you doing? Um, I was watching Colton Town away at Chase Town. Um, oh yeah, any beers? It was yeah, it was quite bizarre. It was my mate's birthday, Graham Barker. So he said, "Yeah, let's go on the away day at Colton Town." And I said, "Yeah, let's do it." And you know what? It was a cracking day. There was about five hundred there, which is great to that. Yeah, two all draw. Um, yeah, copious amounts of alcohol. Brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. What, what stage the next day did you say I'm never drinking again, or was it one of? I can't remember a thing, to be honest. But yeah, you know, I was told it was to all in the end. But yeah, no, it was brilliant. Great day. Great day. So let's start with you, Steve. Uh, Forrest, points at Reading. Happy with that? Do you know what? It, it was expected for me because it's just one of the bogey grounds, isn't it? And they're one of, they're one of those teams. It's They are sort of to us what, what we were to QPR a few years back at home, you know, where they, whatever side they turned up with, they couldn't buy a win. But yeah, we just can never seem to sort of break the duck there, can we? We can never, 
just go that extra mile and win it. It's just a and they're quite uninspiring, aren't they, Reading? I hope they don't mind me saying that. Oh, their music's know. pretty incredible. Have you seen that music video they did? No. Yeah, you should check it out. It's some it looks like it's been done by someone in Hong Kong. And I don't mean because it's got people who look Chinese in it. It's more like a we are red and we're gonna do it. It's like it's not even mildly ironic. It's surrender. So I'll share that with you later. But yeah, they're a weird. They're a weird club in lots of ways. Uh, I remember, do you remember when we drew, did we draw there when Steve Chetlad's going goal? Do you remember Ooh, in about 97? Yeah. Uh, was it Besson got sent off and we were winning? I think Steve Stone had an open goal. That's right, yeah. 97, 98. And I was at it in my head, that was the game that stopped me seeing us win the title at home against Reading when we relegated them because it didn't give us enough points. We had to wait for midweek, didn't we, with Middlesbrough uh, to actually win the league. So we got it in some civic reception that no one ever really saw. But I've always had it in for them ever since then. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I know they've just had points taken off them and God knows what. Just signed Andy Carroll, you could argue. I mean, if you, if you didn't see it, they kind of changed their play a bit when they brought him on. They started humping in and... You know, he's getting he's you know, physicality still in the box. It's a point away from home, which if you want to do stuff for your season, you want them, don't you? Steve, yeah. I'm still on you, mate. Sorry, I didn't. Sorry, you still on me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as I say, expected. Um, but yeah, I, I was just hoping with the, the recent reform, we might just nick that. But, you know, not to be. But uh, yeah, hey, hope. Hey ho, and uh, all up for uh, more drinks. <laughs> Do you know it's been a while now? So I don't think I need to go have some of those drink things myself. Moving on, as somebody else who was probably having a baby shammer too on the weekend, Lisa, uh, we were just discussing this on the on the on the radio uh, with uh, Alex. Um, what the hell's going on with Forest Twitter people and Lewis Grabbin, eh? Do you want to explain it to those who aren't on Twitter, luckily enough, or just tell us a little bit about what happened? Because I thought it actually come from some really excellent work. Yeah, I mean, Lewis Graben picks the ball up uh, near the corner flag, takes on a few players. Um, well, wins it first. Has a, yeah, wins the ball, has a little look, um, can see that there's the keeper's kind of not where he should be um, and can't see any other uh, fluorescent shirted players in the, in the box. And he goes a little bit further, um, has a shot cleared off the line and... Unfortunately for, for Lewis, uh, there were two players that had actually made their way into the box in really good positions and were possibly in a better position than him to score. Lewis, for me, one-on-one against anybody, I would bank on him scoring the goal. Um, didn't happen. And we all know that hindsight is a wonderful thing. Uh, Twitter then went mad. And unfortunately, Twitter went mad because one of our former strikers picked up on who was that? Edge conversation. I don't know, Lisa. Who was it? It wasn't Marlon Hair. It wasn't Marlon, no. It was uh, our former number nine. Uh, Robert Rosario. Brennan's father. Oh, okay. And, and he made some comments that were justified, to be fair. You know, that there were players that were in a better position than him and he should have passed the ball, which you've got to agree with to some degree, but you don't know what Lewis was thinking. You know, Lewis himself has got enough confidence at the minute that he would bank on himself to score. So for me, it's really harsh that our fan base has then gone on the Lewis Graben is shite. Uh, should have passed it, should have done this, should have done that, should have done the other. And I think today on another podcast, it has been discussed with another former number nine of, of the Reds, the, the wonderful Gary Bertels, who kind of said the same thing. And Jono has jumped on that and said, so are you all going to get on his back now because you got on my back for for saying? Oh, nice. how he fended this. So so it gets it it gets more and more. But what Jono did say is that he thought Lewis had done brilliantly in the game, and he still stands by his comments on at the weekend. And 
for me, you know, I like the fact that he's very vocal on social media and he's got an opinion. Uh, people are always going to disagree. Uh, and just because he is, one, an ex-professional who might know what he's talking about, and two, the father of somebody who is up and coming and doing really, really well for our team, doesn't give him the, the right to not have an opinion. And you either... You, the world would be a wonderful place, wouldn't it? No, it'd be boring if yes. people didn't agree with each other. I think it's fueled a lot of the, the morons who I think will just go like, <laughs> we didn't get the goal and win. We didn't get what we wanted. And it's kind of like, that's football for you. If you watch it, and you know, I just, as I said at the start of this, I've worked out it was 30 years this September, my first game. And we lost 2-1 the last minute with Trevor Francis coming off the bench for Wednesday as their player manager and scoring the winner. So if you ever you know, if you ever needed a thing of how football is, it just sometimes... It is interesting because had that that been a goal. I mean, we like we we've just said ourselves. You don't know whether if passed it, whether what would have actually happened is that one of the other two players that were coming in would have skied it, and it still wouldn't have been two 0 So, like I say, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and we got a draw. It's not that's not a bad result at Reading. It's never a bad result at Reading because we generally don't go there and get anything. So I'm ha- I'm happy with a point, and um, I think we'll go out and score the first goal tomorrow. So. There we go. Yeah. Then they'll cheer him. Uh, the, the, I mean, I, we actually gave that a lot more time than we wanted to in lots of ways, but at the same time, it is a, it's a truth. I like to think we are the truth tellers of the podcast world. Um, Dan, uh, let's talk a little bit about the left-back situation because I've just seen a, a tweet from a certain Tales saying that uh, a potential replacement for uh, Max on uh, t- tomorrow night is actually playing tonight for the under-23, so probably isn't going to figure tomorrow. So um, as he asked me on the radio earlier on, you've got your football manager hat on. Uh, Ryan Yates is out as well with a, another suspension. Oh, well, the suspension because of the yellow cards. What are we going to do? Because we discuss this in our in our chats a lot. We're not bashers of anyone realistically, but Gaten Bong looked like he was from another planet the other day. He looked really lost for me. Yeah, I feel sorry for him in a way. I think it's a confidence issue more than anything. Um, I, I'd heard of, or read a story on Twitter, whether true or not, that someone had uh, uh, bumped into him in in Nottingham with a with another player, and they'd asked for a photo, and he just assumed that he was the one going to be taking the photo for them because they wouldn't want a photo with him. Like, so, I, I think this is the same with all the Forest players, right? They they read and they know what's going on, and I I I, I see both sides of this. One, he has been atrocious, and again at the weekend there were some some mistakes, why passes or or anything else that just weren't weren't up to the standard that we've expected uh, recently and kind of in this division. Um, but at the same time, we haven't got many other options. So there's a point at which we all have to say, okay, well, he probably isn't the player we want, but if he's the player we've got, we've got to get behind him and give the guy a chance. Otherwise, he's got no chance at all. Realistically, what else can we do? We can put Colback back there and make more changes in the middle. But as you say, with Yates being out, who are you going to bring in in the centre? I get the impression as much as Cooper's willing to to change formation and change things, um, he is fairly conservative as of most managers of making multiple personnel changes in one game. Um, so I would expect we might stick with Bong, given the Yates situation and not wanting to move Colback. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure there's a, there's a perfect answer at this point in time. The only thing is for me, uh, if we do play Bong, he's not an attacking wing back as such. So it does you, it does then call into question the shape we play. Um, so many, many moving pieces. So I guess time will tell. Well, I said on the radio, I'd bring Stuart Pierce back in some sort of weird necromancer, even though he's not dead um, kind of thing. You know, uh, I didn't know what we do. Uh, Steve, do you think in some ways it highlights 
even though we, you know, I definitely think we'd lost that game about three nil a few months ago. I just think in terms of it's the kind of game you mentioned it before. Our Reading can be with Forest as well, and it's weird how some teams are like that. I remember Warsaw always being one as well. Um, do you think, in some ways, when you get something like Low happening with him, as he, you know, and he was out against Sheffield United as well, wasn't he? Because of uh, loan situation, what might happen with Spence Low or probably Zinchenko as well? Is this Forest squad like a couple of either injuries or loans recalled from being a real bare bones? And I'm not saying that as a real fear thing but it's just highlighted it to me with this situation in terms of what we can move around and do that it's a fragile ecosystem in some ways this forest team at the moment we need january in some ways yeah it's a good point and i but I, i'd go glass half full i'd say well i mean you and i chatted about this last season and we said you know with the sort of plethora of sort of bang average signings and bizarre ones where they just get like 17 of these crazy signings in yeah I'd rather have that. I'd rather run the risk of, of losing these players going back because we've progressed. And, and also it shows you that now we've got this identity, you know, of, of wing backs. We know the kind of player we want. Um, you know, it's, it's far less risk. I don't know whether, I would say Dane Murphy's had a lot to do with it because, you know, we were all screaming out saying, look, stop signing these absolute deadbeats on stupid wages and that's what they've done so they've, they've gone in for the loan market and you always run the risk you always run the risk of, of them returning to parent clubs or whatever but um, I'm going to go glass half full and say it's shown us the light it's shown us what we can do and what what I think we need mm. so um, yeah I'm, I'm going to go with that angle and you know if you if you look at Watford a few years back when they did the Udinese thing I mean they they virtually went up with all loanies so um I think it's a sensible thing, but as you say, it's borderline sort of fragility going back to bare bones. Well, the thing is with that loan system as well is if the players do well, that's what they want to do, isn't it? And they're, they're going to then, you know, their own club's going to go, well, they're doing all right, we'll have them back. If, you know, you just, the only way I think that ever works for the club who's got the loan player is if the parent club is actually doing really, really well then they kind of don't want them back, you know, if it makes a sense, because they've got better than what's going on. Lisa, oh God, she's back, thank God. Um, here's one for you. I've got a couple more questions on Reading with YouTube before we move on. Oh, um, before I do, Dan, have you got part one of our uh, guests of Garibaldi? Sorry, I meant to ask you when I was there, um, because it would have been nice and symmetrical and lined up properly. Um, can you give us uh, part one and explain to those who've never heard guests of Garibaldi before what this is? Apparently you've done one of an era that a uh, special guest probably knows the person but let's let's see what you got maybe maybe um yeah very simple i'm going to offer four clues throughout the show uh, and you need to guess who the ex forest player is so cue the music here it is clue number one lancashire born he began his career at blackburn rovers before moving to forest under brian clough oh god every time you start these clue one i'm going okay yeah i know where lancashire is yeah, Blackburn, heard of them. All right. And then I just go, no. So Steve, Lisa, and any other guests who may be listening in, um, if you know the answer, as you know what to do, you will WhatsApp it to Dan. Steve's got Dan's number. He might not have it. Um, so Steve, you're just gonna have to just go. I knew it. Or message me, and I'll pass it on. Um, and for those at home, uh, we get a lot of people actually coming in on this one, saying that they think uh, it's really good the quiz, and that they got it way before me always. But I always have the argument that I'm trying to run the show at the same time, so I can't really think long enough. Lisa, how are you feeling about that clue? No. Oh, a snarly face. Uh, Steve Corey, how are we doing so far on that one? Can I have the question again, please? Oh, he's going to go with that classic. Go on then, Dan. 
Hang on. I've got to get back into my phone. Sorry, mate. No, you're all right. Lancashire born. He began his career at Blackburn Rovers before moving to Forest under Brian Clough. Hmm. There we go. I'll stop the music there. That helps me with my edit. <laughs> uh, Lisa, uh, just uh, whilst we're all rumbling around that in our heads, tomorrow night, Forrester at home to Luton, which will probably be tonight by the time the podcast, podcast comes out. Um, do you think it's the day that the fans of Nottingham Forest realise how much Ryan Yates means to them? <laughs> uh, maybe. It'll be quite interesting, won't it? Simply because another former midfielder will be one on the bench as coach and two in the midfield, you would suspect, with the return of Mr Cohen and Mr Lansbury, both players that I used to like when they played for the Reds. Oh, it sounds like you had a fallout there. So which one of them do you like as a person more? Oh, Chris Cohen, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I've never, I've met Cohen maybe once, but come, I never met Lansbury, but I just didn't think I'd go for a pint with him. <laughs> Couldn't afford where he goes. Yeah, yeah. Henry. Oh, Lisa. Don't worry, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not doing that to you. We're not that kind of podcast. Go, Lisa, tell us about the time you saw Henry Lansbury. No, yeah. no. I think it, it's just on, on, the, on the football front. You know, you, you, if you compare yeah. the three of them, you've got Cohen and Yates who are as honest as they come and would run through brick walls for Forrest and Henry who tried to get a move every Christmas when uh, when he knew that the transfer window was opening. Um, and for me, it's just about the shirt and when you're on the pitch, you perform 100% and, and that's that. So tomorrow he'll probably put in the performance of his life. Of course he will because he's a so, show. Yes, yes, we will miss Ryan Yates tomorrow. We, we, we categorically, I mean... The fact is that six six to eight weeks ago, or even six months, whatever, we wouldn't have been saying he will be a big loss to the side. We might have been, but there will, there will be the the Twitterati will be saying, you know, that he would he wouldn't have been a big loss. I think he'll be a massive loss tomorrow. Um, but happy birthday, Ryan, because it's uh, it's his birthday, isn't it? Or was that yesterday? Um, well, we're officially on Tuesday, aren't we? If we're releasing it, I don't know what day we're. He'll on. be back. He'll be back on Friday. So. Uh, Unlucky, unlucky as well, I think, because I think he just it was one game away from the bat, you know, the cards being wiped as well. Uh, Dan, quick one. I, I, we were doing the radio early on and they were saying that Luton have like won one out of seven away games. It's classic Forest. <laughs> to, uh, are you expecting a win tomorrow? I mean, I, I went as far as saying I, I, I do expect a win tomorrow. I think Lisa said the same. Um, and it's not just because it's Luton or anything like that. I just expect us to win our home games now, whoever we're playing. Yes, similar. I, I think um, it, it feels a bit like it was under Billy Davis, which is very much regimented in try and win your home games at all costs and set up to do so. And I think that's what Cooper does. And away games still, you know, still look for the three points, but be satisfied with the point. So um, I think he will see anything less than a win as failure against Luton. Um, that all said, I was just looking at the form, form table. So yeah, Luton have, depending on which way you, you look at it, you could say they're on a, a bad run of away form. Um I think Forrester, someone said that Forrest were 22 points from Cooper's 11 games. So two points a game, which is promotion promotion material. But then if, if you look at the last five or six, we dropped from third or second in the form table to about 15th. So wow. Luton probably coming in as well, depending on what data you want to look at and what stats you want to look at and saying, Forrest aren't, you know, there's headlines that say Cooper's changed things around, but we were top of the form table. We're now 15th in the form table and, uh, on the last five or six so uh, that all given I, I don't think they're going to come and 
think that they've got to settle for a point either. That might play into our hands, hopefully, with the with the pace that we've got on the wings and stuff. So um, it should be an exciting game. I always like watching us play Luton. Always open. Never one of those teams yeah. to and part of the bus. So looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a ground I've never been to. I always like the pictures when people are going through someone's council house or whatever it is. Or that's council house. I'm thinking back in Skeg. Um, yeah, you like have to walk through people's houses. Have you been, Steve? You've been Luton away. Lisa, you've been? It looks old school. It no, looks- I've never. I've never been. I've, I've played against the youth team on the training ground. It's not quite the same, is it? <laughs> but no, it does. It's bizarre. And I've seen the photos going in, and you literally are in people's gardens. You yeah, know, you just want to take the wheelie bin out from stuff. I've just realised that. Um, so our special guest just thrown in a question and answer what they think the special uh, the the guest of Garibaldi is, and I've passed on Steve's. So I now know that if if dan says either of those are correct i know the bloody answer so i'm kind of out of this one in a sense uh dan before we do move to our special guest can you just because uh, i don't really want to keep i'm gonna have to interrupt him a couple of times to uh do a couple more of your wonderful um clues before i do can you give us uh here's the music by the way uh the next question for guest of garibaldi or the next clue please sure so the first one was lancashire born began his career at blackburn rovers before moving to forest under brian clough second clue after playing 100 over 100 times for the Reds, he moved on to play under Ozzy Ardilas, Dave Bassett, and Brian Little. So he played over 100 times for Forest, and then went on to play under Ozzy Ardilas, Dave Bassett, and Brian Little. Well, I now know from Dan that one of you got it, so I'm now not allowed to enter. Uh, but it's going to be more for my new game's called Watch Lisa. Try and get it. So uh, come on, Lisa. Uh, who is it? <laughs> She's just sent me the. Uh, Correct answer also. Oh, boom. I wasn't mocking you. I was encouraging you. So hold on. So that's two people have got it now. And one of them wasn't Steve. So Steve, uh, have you got a clue on that one now? Um, you know what? No, I'm uh, I'm not even going to text because I, I don't know. Okay. So, so far. So maybe clue three because there'll be some people listening who haven't got it as well. Um, right. So without further ado, I'm just going to get a quick prediction for the next two. No, let's just do, let's just do uh, Luton. We'll just re-look at West Brom later on. Uh, Dan, give us your score prediction for Luton Town at home, please. 2-1, Forest. Forest, thank you. Lovely. Uh, Lisa, for her fuck, for fucks. I don't know why I went all all arc right on you. Um, uh, What's um, your score prediction, please? Well, I was going to go 2-1, Forest. So as soon as Dan's stolen that one, I'm going to go 3-1, Forest. Well, you went 2-1 on the radio. Why have you changed? Well, because somebody else has has said it. So I'm going to get controversial you can agree one of those people that doesn't pick the same thing in restaurants yeah she is yeah and then get food envy no i'm gonna have that because i might like yours and you go you're not having mine i'm just anyway steve cory are you scared of going 2-1 or do you think it's going to be something different i'm gonna go completely sort of avant-garde without the super ryan yates in there i'm gonna i'm gonna say we'll we'll, cage you one nil We, we don't do one nils but we do tomorrow Bollocks, I was going to go 1-0. I only went 4-0 on the radio because the host who's normally on it always says 4-0 and he wasn't there. I'm going to go with you, Steve. I'm going to go 1-0 as well. It'll be 96th minute, Scott McKenna, header. Right, um, our special guest is up next. So um, our special guest first came to my attention when Daniel Taylor shared his story on Twitter. Um, It seems pretty unbelievable as a tale. Um, A couple of ragtag kids, so they're out doing Penny for the Guy. Um, If you're younger than me by a while, go and look it up. Uh, Probably illegal these days, knowing how the world is. But anyway, uh, to get some cash off some bloke in a tracksuit with some flour on the front, that's what they thought it was. Uh, They find out he's a footballer and he says, come to the hotel tomorrow and I'll get you some more 
autographs. They go back the next day and meet one of the world's most famous and successful managers and end up living with him, sitting in the dugout with him, sharing wonderful memories with him and his family and going from a hard life surrounded by abusive adults and uh, on the road heading one way really to lodging with a young Roy Keane and chatting tactics with old Big Ed himself and that's just a tiny slice of the ups and downs that occurred. One of those lads has just released a book entitled Be Good, Love Brian, Growing Up with Brian Clough. If you're a red or even if you're not to be fair you need to read this book. Also available in audio format for those who are not keen on reading and I'm delighted to say is author Craig Bromfield joins us now on Forever Forest podcast. Hello Craig. Hi Freeps, how are you pal? Oh, mate, I'm just happy everything worked. Uh, we did a little bit of a test run. It's all good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm doing a lap of honour of the house for getting the question right first time. Yeah, well, you keep it under your hat just for two more because uh, well, it's nice for keeping Steve. Just Steve's normally a fountain of knowledge with stuff, but he's. Uh, I do get a bit sometimes where I go, I don't know. So I'm just going to just, I don't care, but I do. I'll go and sit home. So where do we find you right now, Craig? Where are you at? I'm, I'm actually back in Sunderland. I moved back to Sunderland last year um, to volunteer for a kids' charity up here. Um, probably two and a half mile away from where I live. Um, still missing Nottingham quite a bit, but yeah, settled back up in in Sunderland, living a high life with two cats. <laughs> Mate, I did have a look on the Twitter. There was a few uh, cat things. I think one of them I shared one with uh, the cat starting uh, licking a bowl. It becomes a song. But anyway, that could be another podcast altogether. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the book and everything. Well, first of all, congratulations. You've done a book and got it out into the world, which I'm sure is an equally stressful and delightful thing in all measures. Um, so in the intro, I said I was paraphrasing and, and trying to cram it all into a nice intro. Uh, but now can we go into a bit further? Take us back to the years BC or before Clough. Uh, that what was it like for the young Craig and his siblings? What was the what was the start of all this really? Uh, tough. I mean, we were let's say from a broken home. You know, my mom married uh, quite early and had three kids by the time she was twenty one. Uh, she got divorced. The first thing I remember in my life, you know, I was probably two and a half. First thing I remember is my dad smashing the mirror over my mom's head in the street and us getting taken into care for a year and a half. Uh, got split up from my sister for a while as well, so it was only me and my older brother. Then in care again at four, in care at seven. Um, my mum then made a genius decision to marry a Jamaican Geordie, uh, which in Sunderland in the 80s probably wasn't the most sensible thing you could do. Stands out of it. Yeah, just a little bit. And he was, um, I mean, it's in the book, you know, it's, he was a, abusive. He did have nice sides to him, but he was very, very abusive. His background wasn't great. He was adopted. He was abused by his parents as well. So um, we were basically in and out of care and in and out of domestic uh, domestic abuse shelters really up until the age of, of 13, 14, when it kind of tailed off a little bit. Poorest church mice, electricity cut off, water cut off, typically because we hadn't paid the bills or they'd broken into the meat, to be fair. Um, and just not not an easy life. We were bull- I was bullied quite a bit because my brother, my stepbrother was mixed race. Mm. My dad had a son and he came to live with us there and he was very prominent in the story as well. Um, and we just moved into a really, really rough area called Southwick and, you know, there was a lot of racial abuse there. And unfortunately, I couldn't fight, but I tried to. So my brother would typically get it, get into a, a rug uh, with a group of lads. I'd pile in, you know, as skinny as a rake, trying to get stuck in and, and he'd bugger off and leave me to get a kick in. 
So it was it was a difficult childhood. That's for sure. sure. The one where you said your dad had, had been trying to teach you to do boxing stuff, and there was some lad who, who sort of either laughed at you or something with football. So he'd gone back to have a go, and he was like, "No, I, I did say if they were much bigger than you to walk away, you kind of took on you kind of took the advice, but in kind of the wrong one on that one. But it, overall, it feels like that's a million miles away from the other world and stuff that we see from where it is. So how do you go from from that and that situation, which, you know, a lot of people will recognise as their similar lives. I mean, I've definitely seen some of those scenarios you mentioned in Skeg and, you know, the very different sides of the coin. Um, how do you go from there with you lot having the life you've got that to at some point being at Wembley with the League Cup? What, what's, the first, what's the key moment and where it all changes? I don't want to give the whole book away because I do want people to read it for you, Craig. But at the same time, what's the what's the turning point for those who aren't aware of your story? I mean, the turning point was being poor. Uh, you know, we were pretty creative. We didn't have any money. And I just remember one year, the only thing we could get my mum for Christmas was a quarter of Mary made toffees, um, which is like, you know, just chocolate sweets. And she ended up, the big chunky thing, she ended up giving us one each. And I think she had three for, her, for herself. And that was just heartbreaking. So we used to do anything we could to raise money. Um, and the most prolific of that was Penny for the Guy. We started off just going around the, the houses, knocking on people's doors, and then, we discovered if we stood outside of pubs or approached pubs, we'd make more. And there, there are so many like just weird sets of circumstances that this might not have happened or might not have continued. For example, we had a rule where we would only go down 14 days before November the 5th. Can I just um, explain some who don't know it, Craig, that Penny for the guy, cause again, I don't know how much it is. We used to do it, and I think it was getting yeah. the back end where we did. So you'd make a guy that was going to get on bon, a pot on the bonfire, um, but, you know, people would give you money for making it in a sense, wouldn't they? They'd be like, all right, okay, and it was, you'd earn you a few bob, but also it was you're going to burn the bugger at some point. But and you, you, you're saying you're doing it 14 days before was, what was that your starting point? You wouldn't do it earlier than that. Yeah, we, we didn't burn ours because they usually had nicer clothes than we had. So at the end, we like... <laughs> We'd basically rape the guy and take the clothes back. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, 14 days, which, which would have meant we went on the Monday. Um, and just Aaron just had a, you know, a, 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 he just came out and said, look, what's, what's dad like? Dad gets paid on the Friday and by the Monday, all his money's gone. So it's, it's payday today. Let's, let's go down for a couple of hours. And that's what made us go down on the Friday night. Otherwise, we'd have missed him totally. Right. Um, we, we only had one guy between us, but we were covering two entrances. So Aaron's at the back without a guy asking people for money. I'm around the front with the guy, telling him if anybody doesn't believe him, send him round. Aaron's going, we've got a guy. Can I have some money? You can go and look at it around the front. Yeah, honest, mister, we are really. Uh, did, and then the other... did you say there was like one person who actually comes to check out if that was real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a few of them. Oh, and, and then the other, the other thing is, is, of course, you know, they were really confused because we were brothers, but we were different colour skin. Right. So they were like... Two scouts going on here. Didn't believe us all, always up. And anyway, this night, it wasn't great. It was pretty quiet. It was bloody freezing. You know, we're there in T-shirts, shivering our teeth off. Um, and we, I'd got into some bother with a skinhead who used to come fairly regularly. Um, and he, he just walked up to me, sounded as nice as ninepence this year. Um, but then halfway through the conversation, just turned around and said, you know, where is the bastard who you usually come with? Obviously referring to Aaron's colour. Um, and I just said, you know, first of all, he's not a, a bastard. He's got a dad. And secondly, it doesn't matter that he's black. And he just started kicking me in and kicking the guy all over the all over the street. And we'd added stuff with newspapers. So I was like, you know, crying, but crying because I was chasing the newspaper around. Yeah. And, and uh, some bloke came out of the restaurant and chased him. And then literally 30 seconds later, it was this, this group of blokes wearing 
tracky tops and tracky bottoms walked along the street. So can I just ask you, yeah. did you, did you really follow football? Cause you, you said in the book something like, it looked like they had a tree or a flower on the top, but most young kids, I guess well, I'm thinking more now, might would go, oh, it's the forest badge. Were you football, anything that mattered to you then? Or when did you know this was the Nottingham Forest? Uh, only when they told us. No, I was I was rubbish at football and I used to have a rule where at that point I didn't really do things I wasn't good at. Right. So my um, my forte was running. You know, I was a really good cross-country runner. I had to be because I usually had to escape from people chasing me. So no, I didn't really know them. Um, Aaron thought they were the Sunderland basketball team. <laughs> uh, and it was literally when we went round the back. So first of all, those lads have given us like, you know, probably gave me less than a quid, but it was still more than we had from anybody else. Mm. Uh, and then I've decided to go around the back and tell Aaron, you know, the skinhead's coming back because he promised to come back and nick the money off us. Aaron said, look, just stay here. And at that point, then Kenny Swain approached, coming coming around the corner from the hotel, having been on a walk. Um, I asked him for a penny for a penny for the guy. He's packed his pockets and said he's got no change. And obviously, cheekily, I've said, don't worry about it. We take American Express or MasterCard. Right. Uh, he's like chuckled his head off and, and said, look, let me go upstairs and, and, and get my wallet and I'll be back down. Did you think not seeing him again? Yeah, yeah, literally. I mean, we, we, we had blokes who would say that to us, we'll see you on the way back. And then they, you know, they'd bugger off and we wouldn't see him again for a year. Um, so I, th- I thought he was lying just to get rid. Um, but we asked for the autographs as well. So that was like, you know, he couldn't escape. He had to come back and give us those. Um, and he's come back in a, like about 10 or 15 minutes with a couple of pieces of paper with some autographs on, but he said, look, lads, most of the, most of the players have gone to bed. Um, come back tomorrow early in the morning after breakfast and I'll get the rest of them. And he gave us a fiver, which was just an incredible amount of money. You know, the most money we'd ever made on the first night guy and ever really. Yeah. Um, and again, there was a choice, you know, first of all, I don't think he thought we'd go back down. Uh, he told us to to like not stay out too long. It's cold. There are drunks. Be careful going home. See you tomorrow. And and we went home and we discussed it. And it was like, do we go back in the morning? Because all we're going to do is get some autographs. We're not going to get any money. You know, is it worth going two mile walk just down to there? Um, and anyway, we went back in the morning. Uh, we were there at like he told us to get there for half ten. We were there for half seven, waiting for them like idiots. Um, still dressed in the same clothes that we had on the night before. And the reason for that, Fridge, was my dad used to come home drunk some nights and we didn't know what mood he was in. Mm. And if he, came, if he came home in a bad mood, he would kick us out. You need to and get- it, didn't, it didn't matter what we were wearing. You know, we'd just be out on the streets within 30 seconds. So we used to sleep in our clothes in case we had to make a fast escape. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're down at the beach. I'm running along doing chariots of fire. Aaron's swimming in Seaburn Sea. Because you've got there early, haven't you? You've gone. You, you're going to get there early, ready for them. Yeah, just in case they tried to escape. We were like, what? we're having none of that. So Aaron's swimming in the sea. I'm running along the beach doing chariots of fire in my head. Um, and then I just see how Aaron waving at the top of the steps, telling me to, to, to come and, and hurry up. Um, I ran back along, think he's found something really interesting. He's just gone, look, look, that man over there. And I've gone, where? And he said, that man with them. He said, that's Brian Clough. And I, again, I had no clue who he is. Uh, and he said... He's basketball a, coach, apparently, um, Craig. Yeah, exactly, yeah. He, he was fairly tall to me, so he could have been. <laughs> Larry Bird, probably someone like that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just, I walked up to him there and said, look, I'm not talking to him because he shouts a lot. You go and say hello to him. So I just walked up to him as nice as nine prince, 
you know, naively. Good morning, Mr. Clough. Can you tell me if Kenny Swain's up yet? Oh, you looked it uh, out with the Mr. Clough straight away, though. That was good. Yeah, and and he said that, you know, he did say that. And I made a joke, basically. He said, you know, as your mum told you to call me Mr. Clough, and I said, yeah, until we get to know you better, I've got to call you Mr. Clough. And he's just like, wee, you cheeky little buggy. You're not going to get to know me better. Um, I'm glad I can hear the laugh now, by the way, because in the book, you put that way quite a lot and you say it's the way he laughed and I wasn't quite sure how to read it a few times. So at least now I think I've got the visual on how Brian Clough laughed all the time. Well, you mentioned the audible version, Freebs. I got the audio version. The guy's done a brilliant job, but in the first recording, he'd done the way as, as we are, which you would if you read it. Yeah. And it just, it spoiled the whole thing, you know, because it's not, I think one of the, the good things about the books, the authenticity of Brian and his voice. Yeah. And and that was really important. But he, he just had such a contagious laugh about him that the second he started, everybody was at it. That's funny because all the time I've seen him and all the things I've done, I, I can't remember loads of times of actually hearing him laugh. Not because I think he was a miserable man, but just a lot of the time it was football based, I guess. A lot, a lot of the time it would. But um, how? so how do you go from Kenny Swain, you're going up to him to, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, again, make you condense all that into one thing, but you then end up how how do you end up on the bus from there because a lot of people are going all right so you've gone back for the autographs you're you know your brother's in the sea in his pants whatever you're doing chariots of fire you've realized this bloke's here you know he's worried about because he might shout at him how have you ended up in the next stage of where this moves on to i think again that's probably down to the way we looked you know we were skinny we didn't have coats on we had i never classed myself as scruffy but to be fair we were probably scruffy he just looked at us and said you look like you haven't had a decent meal in ages come with me uh, you can have some breakfast in the hotel. You can say hello to the players. You can get the autographs and then you can hug her off back home and everybody will be happy. So you said this hotel as well in the book was very much a bit like you see that classic thing in films where there's like the, the cheeky kids trying to get into a posh hotel to them and the, the blokes always at the door going, get out your buggers. This was kind of like the golden gates for you to be able to get into this bloody hotel because you never, you're normally just waiting outside. Is that right? I'd never seen that. I'd gone in a couple of times to try and have a sneaky wee and he'd always like, you know, the bloke was just there. He had like a sensor that went off waiting for us and would just yeah. chase us like mad. And obviously they didn't like us because we were badgering their customers. Mm. Um, so he'd had a beautiful revolving door. And I'd basically said, Brian, listen, we can't come in because the man doesn't like us. And Brian just said, look, son, you're with me. He doesn't need to like you. All he needs to do is let you in. You're with me. Don't worry about it. So we've walked through the revolving door. I've gone through nice and calmly. Our Aaron's done whatever he decent kid would do which is just you know run around at about 350 times screaming his head off uh and the blokes come down the stairs running around the revolving door yeah literally like wee 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 and brian's like oh you knock it off and get in here and the blokes come walking down the stairs i found out later his name was pete you know i got to know him quite well um but he's come walking down the stairs with a face like thunder like i I think he said sorry brian and not sorry mr clough he said, sorry, Brian, I'll have them out in no time. And Brian just said, hang on a second. Young man, they're with me. They're coming with me. They're going to have some breakfast. They'll be leaving in about an hour. Um, and we just went and we had, we had breakfast with the players. We watched a little bit of grandstand or whatever football focus was on. Uh, and then, you know, the players are just asking us questions about what we were doing. Were we really brothers? Like things like that. And, uh, you know, we were cheeky little kids just answering nice and straight, not even realising when we're being funny. And then Kenny just came up and said, look, the gaffer's asked if you want to come to the game today, you relax us, come to the game on the bus, uh, we'll get your tickets, you'll have to make your own way home, but if you want to come and watch the game, you can. Were they playing Sunderland or, or Newcastle then? Newcastle at St. James's. Had you been St. James's before? I'm guessing not, but you had? No, never. The, I, I'd only, 
Sunderland used to have this thing where they'd, they'd open the gates 20 minutes from the end to let oh. people who wanted yeah. to leave early. And obviously then, occasionally we'd sneak, sneak in. But the only time I'd been to a Sunderland game was with Aaron and he got his head kicked in. Uh, so, yeah, I, I never really... Uh, I never really felt for Sunderland. It, it's difficult to say now being up in Sunderland because people don't really like that. You know, you should follow your local club. But I never really had a soft spot for football at all and definitely not Sunderland. So that sings to me in lots of ways because what we hear about, um, I'm going to bring the other guys in with some questions for you in a sec, but I just want to get to the main crux of where the story was before I do, is that seems a very much a cluff thing, whether I've heard about... Um, Peter Shilton being warmed up on a roundabout in Madrid before they played in the European Cup, that he saw these two, you know, these scruffy little urchins in a sense uh, that relax his team. You know, his team, uh, it's a very much a, a thing you can't get on modern football managing games where it's all about statistics. There's no statistic for how well they handle some kids telling them a funny story or, you know what I mean? That's not, it's, it's such a man management thing in lots of ways and harks to a lot of stories I do hear about the man. So, how again? So you go to the game, and how does that become? I'm just get to the point where you end up basically using the bathroom at their house, and how does it become that? Because it's that's the bit that if you said to me, "This is where this is, and this is where this goes," I couldn't connect that in a million years. I'm sure you probably couldn't. It's a little bit, it's a little bit too long, but you know, the the, the long and short of it is, every time after the game, we left early because it was so cold, and I felt guilty that we hadn't said thanks and, and goodbye properly. So when I went back the next day, I wrote a letter to him thanking him. Um, used like four pence pocket money, put a stamp addressed envelope in there as well, which I think he liked, even though he didn't use. Uh, three or four days later, we got a letter back from him with some um, some pen pal pictures uh, saying, you know, lads, it was great to meet you. Um, make sure you stick in at school. Hopefully we'll see you soon. And of course, be good. Um, and left it at that again, probably not think we'd see us again because they, they only played Newcastle once that season. Sunderland were relegated. Mm. Uh, and then by just a quirk of fate, they drew Newcastle and Sunderland in both cups, one at, one at Roker Park and one at St. James's. Love it. So very, very quickly, within a period of like a couple of months, we, we'd gone back three times. We'd gone to the game. Um, again, sat with them on the bus and had the mail beforehand. And then everything changed the following season, pretty much a year to the day, October 85 it was. We were on a, I think, a school holiday called Shipyard Fortnight up here, where everybody breaks up for two weeks. And the plane Newcastle at St. James's. We didn't get an invite, so we didn't know whether we should go. And that's what I mean. Again, you know, we decided Aaron wasn't going to go because he didn't think we should. And I've had to force him to get to, to Newcastle. We went down to the hotel to see if the team bus was there. It wasn't. They were staying somewhere else at that point. The guy in the hotel becomes your friend then by helping you about the other hotel, doesn't he? Because he yeah. believes. Yeah. T told me told me where they were staying. Told me he'd ring that hotel and tell Brian we were on our way. Even though the sneaky bastard didn't. I found that out later as well. He didn't actually ring the hotel. Um, but we've we've basically rocked up outside St. James's Park. Kenny Swain's obviously already left then to go to Portsmouth. So... You know, Brian's seen us waiting outside, invite us onto the bus. He said, you do know Kenny's gone, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I know he's gone, but, you know, we still love you. He's like, all right, fair enough. Get yourself down the back, get some soup and some chocolate and, and basically get out of my head. I've got work to do. And then the end of that game was just, you know, my, my God, life-changing, surreal, incredible. We're sitting in the dressing room. Uh, he used to get us to, like, put things away and help out, you know, tidy up, put the socks away and stuff. We're sitting in the dressing room, we've had all done. And he just turned around and he said, lads, have you got school tomorrow? And I said, I usually did the talking, so I said no. 
Uh, and he said, how do you feel about coming down to mine for a few days holiday? It'll do your mom some good to get rid of you. Um, and then he got Jim McAnally, who was the, the, the right back um, from Dundee, I think he was, uh, to ring the next door neighbour because we didn't have the phone. Uh, rang the next door neighbour. My mum's obviously gone over the fence, picked up the phone. It's Jim McAnally saying, Brian Clough wants to take your two boys down for a holiday. And my mum thought he was taking the mickey. Mm. My mum's like, hey, come on, who is it really? Uh, and we've ended up going down to his house for a week. It's, the thing is, it blows your mind is, is you just try and put it into modern times, I guess, and you see what things are like with bloody social media and God knows what and X, Y, Z, and someone going, hi, it's uh, it's Jose Mourinho here. I just wondered if, uh, you know, take kids away for a bit to my villa or wherever he might live in. It, it's, it is a, such a story of another world, which I think a lot of people who are of a certain vintage wouldn't even... It's very nostalgic for me in lots of ways, even though there's probably sort of nine years between me and you. It, it it smacked of a world where you would just go out on your bike a lot more and do X, Y, Z and just be, you know, it felt like a bit of that world. And it's the other thing I was going to say to you is, is kind of one of my first questions to it really was, I doubt very much, uh, well, you might correct me with this, but I didn't see it in the book that you'd said to, to Brian, you know, this is what my life is like. It felt like a lot of it was an assumption that he'd gone these kids could do with some help rather than you doing it as a plea for help or your mum somehow ringing him and going, can you take him away? It seemed like a lot of this was just off the core of who the man was realising the situation. Yeah, I didn't tell him until a couple of years after what our life was really like. You know, we, we tried to, to put it on. Um, we were polite kids. I mean, that's for sure. Um, but no, he, he didn't know anything about it other than what he could see visually. Uh, and visually was, you know, lads who never had a haircut, big teeth. Uh, dirty clothes and, you know, stuff like that. So everything was out of the kindness of his heart. Of course, Freebs, he wouldn't get away with it these days. No. He wouldn't. You know, if somebody rang a, rang a parent now and said, I want to take your kids down to my house for a week, he'd probably get arrested and never mind anything else. Which you can, with some things you do hear about abuse and God knows what, you can see it as being a definite yes, but at the same time, there is a big swathe of, you know, what a lot of that kindness could be that isn't seen as that. So how, how long in total, I mean, I... I I kind of feel so glad to say this, read the book. There's so much of what goes on, whether it be you going for your glasses. Was was it with Archie Gemmell? Who, who, who did the glasses with you? Ian Bomaboya. Ian Bowyer. So really briefly. The best captain, the best captain Forrest ever had, I think. Give us the Bowyer glasses story. And that's the last one I'm going to ask for you from the book. And then we're going to open it up to the other guys and stuff because I want people to read gems like this between Brian Bowyer. I can see Steve, Steve must have seen Bowyer and all those in the day as well. But this is a great one. So you needed glasses. What did Brian make him do? I mean, Bowyer was just incredible. You know, he was a real father figure and just a, a lovely, gently, gentle, soft-spoken bloke. Got on fantastic with him. And I actually hated Piercy when he first came because Piercy took over from, from Bowyer. He wasn't um, so Anyway, we're around at Brian's house. You know, we've been there five days. We were meant to go home before the Arsenal game on the Saturday. We're actually going to go on the Thursday. And Brian's agent, Mike Kaling, went to the train station to get us tickets. And he actually bought us an open return. So instead of a specific date, we could go, we could use it any time in three months. And he, he just winked at us and said, look, you know, I've bought these. You never know. Brian might let you stay a couple of days longer. Um, and then he went to Brian and said, why don't the lads hang around for the Arsenal game? Because we hadn't seen a game at the city ground. So I'm I'm sitting around at his house. I've got really, really bad eyes. I'm like sitting at less than half a metre away from the telly squinting. Uh, and I've ended up nicking his glasses to watch the telly. Uh, probably like the Richard Pryor show or something like that. Um, yeah. I've ended up nicking his glasses to watch the telly. And he's obviously done his nuts. 
like, what are you doing with my glasses on? And then we've gone to the ground the next day and he's like, all right, bomber, what I want you to do, get to the opticians on Bridgeford Road, pick him up a pair of glasses. Uh, it's on me, you know, you pay and I'll, I'll settle up later. And me and Ian Bowyer have gone to the opticians on, on Bridgeford Road, tried on some glasses. I'm asking his opinion on it, one silver, one gold. Uh, bombers turned around and said, look, the silver ones make you look older, but the gold ones make you look cleverer. So let's get them both. Um, glasses we, time with Bowie, I love it. Go on. <laughs> we've, we've basically picked up the two pairs of glasses, had to wait a couple of hours. You know, the, the lenses are extra thick, blah, 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 blah. We've gone back to Brian's office and Ian Bowie has given the bill and it was 174 quid. In what Brian, year? In the 80s? This was 85. There's a wedge. It's an absolute fortune. Did Brian like that news, Craig? God. He, he, he literally turned around. He said, Bloody hell, bomber. He said, I asked him to buy him a pair of bins, not the bloody shop. Did he, do you think he ever paid Bowie back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would have done. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was all right with money, Brian, but he didn't like paying things. You know, he took us to Ford's on Central Avenue the first day we were there because uh, we didn't have any clothes. You know, we'd only gone down and stuff. We, we traveled down in. Um, and the same thing, he bought me a pair of cords and he bought our Aaron a pair of cords and the woman's like fifteen ninety nine each. And he did his note. He's like 16 quid for a pair of bloody trousers. So even though he was minted and he didn't mind paying it, he definitely had like a value of... Yeah, of course. Value of money. I think it's, um, again, the, the only other sort of teaser I'd want to give to people about to read it is obviously... We we'll probably come to it at the end of it. There is there is a bit of a, a twist at the end in some senses, but also this isn't just some kids living with Brian Clough. You're in the dressing room after Wembley, Oldham, you know, League Cups, FA Cup finals. You're in, you're even crawling along the side of Leighton Orient at Brisbane Road to ask Clough if you can come and sit in the dugout, which you used to do sometimes. This is not, I at first thought this was a story of two kids who'd got a rough life who went and stayed with Cloughy for a week or two. It is not. You you know, there's some you sent me a clip today when it's uh, Tottenham in that amazing League Cup second leg at, at White Hart Lane. And you're going to me, what is it, on oh, 59 seconds? That's me next to Roy Keane in the in the jogging bottoms of Borrowed Off Nigel. And it's like, how did I not notice this kid was around the Forest team all the time? Because <laughs> I was watching games around that time. I'm sure all the other guys here were as well. And it's like, how did I not notice this kid in them glasses that you're gonna go. <laughs> it's probably because I was so good looking and had such a great physique. You must have thought I was jealous, Craig. Yeah, midfield bomber. That was it. I was just like, who's and you know, I, I, again, stories. Like I said, I shared with you my cluffy story earlier on, which is just pales in comparison. But what was lovely about telling you it, and I told you you were the first person I've told it to that got me quite emotional with it, was because I knew that you were going. That's him. Yeah, you you definitely did. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing he did, and it's you know even with. Roy Keane, you're saying, you know, you're in digs where Roy Keane's starting out and he's that, I guess, a bit of a quieter kid than what most people know, Cobb, Cobb Wranglers and all that. So there's a big period of forest. We need to go into this with it. And obviously the, the closeness with the family, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to open it up to, first of all, Dan, can I have clue three? Um, let, let Craig have a quick breather uh, before we go in. Can we have Q3 guests to Gary Baldy, unless your name's Lisa and Craig, who's gone and got it. Uh, for Steve and those who haven't got it yet, uh, guests to Garibaldi, part three. Here's the music. Oh, I don't know if I'm worthy of giving a question amongst all of this, but I'll, I'll throw it in for a... Anyway, um, clue number three. In uh, the 1995-96 season, this winger scored against Forrest to knock us out of the FA Cup at the quarter-final stage before going on to play in Italy. So, Steve, you know now, yeah? Okay. I, I know that he knows when he's doing that thing now. Obviously, I know because I've ruined it for myself. 
Uh, but I must say, it's the first time a guest who I've not introduced to the show actually got it before we'd been introduced to the show. Uh, and Lisa's there as well. So yeah, one more time, please, with that, Dan, and then I'm going to ask you for a question for Craig. In the 95-96 season, this winger scored against Forest to knock us out of the FA Cup at the quarterfinal stage before going on to play in Italy. What a bastard, eh? Um, so yeah, Craig, Dan, Dan, Craig, um, over to you. Uh, Dan, <laughs> I didn't know who it was <laughs> for my uh, for my uh, general question. So I'm going to skip forward a bit, if I may, and ask because everything we hear about Brian Clough is phenomenal in some way. Whether it's the way he manages a team, whether it's you know the the part he's played in your life, I kind of want to know what he did that was normal. So did he did he ever sit down in the evening and switch on only fools and horses, or did he did he do something just a bit kind of normal to relax from football or anything anything that's just kind of a, the same as the average man that was part of his life loved the disco I mean, dance yeah the stuff that's kind of known already he loved spending time in his garden it's weird you mentioned only fools and horses because i think that was probably a family favorite so yeah they did used to sit down and do that he loved he loved comedy in general um so i remember like the the, the first time with that, i think one of the first videos he made us sit through was bobby thompson the little waster it was a northeastern comic up here um, who ba- his basic routine was, you know, he was he was poor and you know, he'd take the mickey out of himself for that. Um, but at home, Dan, he was just, I mean, that was the bizarre thing about it because it took me a while to realise how big he was because he was so normal. You know, he'd be in the kitchen making us bacon sandwiches and pot- pots of tea and his bacon sandwiches, I swear to God, if he ever opened a cafe selling them, he'd have been, yeah, he'd have been, more successful as a bacon sandwich maker than he was. Checking which way that was going, Craig, for a minute, because you didn't say it in the book. I was going to say, it was shock horror. Craig comes out with Brian Clough's shit at bacon sandwiches. Oh, nah, nah, they were gorgeous. Why I were mean, they good? Was it a good butter in or was it the bread? I want to know now. Combination of everything. He used to heat the bread, but not toast it. So we'd have wholemeal bread, lashings of butter, crispy bacon, and then exactly the right amount of ketchup that melts over the butter. I just and didn't know. that at all. And what was the name of that? What was the name of the comedian? Sorry, Craig. Uh, Bobby Thompson. So I'm gonna, the I'm gonna, the little maybe, maybe on the anniversary of his death or something else. I think my uh, the uh, homage to Clough should be sat in the green jumper with a bacon sandwich, uh, yeah. watching Only Fools and Horses or the Little Waster or something like that. That's the that's the way we spend it. A bit of Morecambe and Wise, Dan. You wouldn't get away without that. He used to love Morecambe and Wise as well. All right, Morecambe and Wise. go family friendly. He wasn't the boss at home. I mean, that, he was, but he wasn't, you know, definitely not at the telly. So, like, Elizabeth used to really like the Victoria Wood show. So Brian had, had sit through that happily for, like, 45 minutes complaining, but he'd have to sit through it. So he wasn't in charge of the telly. So what was ever, whatever was on was on. Before before we move on with that, I think Steve's got a question to do with Barbara. Uh, I think it was he'd written down. Have you got your question there, Steve? I was just checking. Actually, it seems quite a, quite a good tie-in at this point from what Dan's asked. I agree. Hi, Steve. Um, yeah, Barbara Clough. I've always been interested because, you know, Brian, such a strong character. Um, you, you know, you've, you've lived in that household. What was Barbara like? Was she as strong as Clough? I mean, did she keep reins on him behind closed doors? First of all, Steve, I need to wrap your knuckles a bit, a little bit because it's Mrs. Clough to you, young man. <laughs> Don't ask Steve, to, you, Steve at least didn't do his accent. He's, he's, he does a good impression of Brian, but anyway, go on. Uh, a very private woman and I don't really like talking about her other than to let people know in the book what, a, what an incredible woman she was uh, really 
Really strong, really direct, which won't surprise you. She could bring Brian up, down a peg or two, but never ever did it nastily, would always do it cleverly. Uh, really looked after the house and, you know, was a was an absolutely brilliant wife, a brilliant woman. She used to volunteer to teach underprivileged and foreign kids English a couple of times a week wow. um, and was, was literally just his rock. So no matter how he was feeling, he tried to keep his feelings after a football game. You know, there were day, times where he didn't want to talk. Um, but I think Mrs. Clough was brilliant at judging what he needed, whether he needed to be brought down a peg or two or lifted. And, and you could see the influence she had on him in every aspect of his life. You know, even in terms of like, you know, when he's getting ready for an interview, she'd make sure he looked smart because he hated wearing a suit. She'd tie his tie for him, stuff like that, you know. Just a, just a, a really beautiful woman and super intelligent. We used to play... Um, 15 to 1 and countdown in the afternoon after I'd finished either training or typically working in the shop. And Mrs. Clough would be there ironing everybody's shirts and doing the starch. And she got literally every question right on 15 to 1. But you, they say that, don't they? Well, I know my mum would say it. it's like between, behind every great man, there's an even more fantastic woman. And I think when you, you know, I'm keen often when people say about things happen with their lives, you never know what happens behind closed doors. I mean, in a sense, even the situation you were in, I'm sure there's a time when they might go to bed and have a different conversation and God knows what, but to with someone that we kind of know enough about as Brian or Mr. Clough and as you do too, you, you have to be, you have to be a strong, you know, matriarchal in that situation. It always come across that way. So I'm glad to hear that from you as well, because obviously that's nice to hear. You don't want someone going, actually, it turns out you just throw hamsters over a wall. Um, Lisa, have you got a question for Craig? Hi, Craig. How are you doing? Hi, Lisa. I'm all right. I'm still waiting. I think I came on because you promised you were going to get me Natalie Portman jumping out of a cake for my birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. She she was a little bit busy um, this That's evening. why Lisa's just said it. So we got her instead. So. <laughs> she was a little bit busy. You got me instead. Uh, not jumping out of a cake, unfortunately. Um, the question that I've got for you is is more, more to do with the reaction that you got from the rest of the Clough family. Uh, obviously, you and your brother turned up on their doorstep, invited by Mr. Clough. Uh, how how did Nigel and Simon and Elizabeth actually react to you guys being there? Uh, you know, in, in a short word, the Treadles like brothers and sisters. I mean, I, th- I think the the most difficult it might have been for any of them would be Elizabeth. You know, she's nineteen years old, and suddenly there's a thirteen and fourteen year old lad living in a roof or living under a roof. Um, but from the second we got there, they just made us feel welcome. You know, again, they, there's a, a games room upstairs on the on the third floor above the bedroom, um, which is full of like, you know, pool table, darts, multi-gym and everything. And for the first couple of days, me, Aaron, Nigel and Simon would be up there playing tournaments. Uh, looked after us incredibly in terms of, you know, giving us sports gear, um, just making sure we're okay, but also taught us a lot. Uh, and that's, uh, again, Freebs, I don't want to go into it too far in advance, but that also is what makes it so difficult. You know, not many people get close to Nigel. He is a very, very private. You mentioned private. Simon a lot more in the book. It's, it even comes across in the book that Simon was a lot more either chatty or approachable with you than Nigel. But I, I wouldn't say chatty or approachable because me and Nigel got very close. You know, I remember um, the 88 season. I pretty much did pre-season with him. Not, Nigel was still living at home. Simon had moved away. I think the natural side of it was um, I started playing football for AC Hunters, but I also started working for Simon. So I spent more time with him. Um, 
But in terms of like day to day, you know, Nigel taught me how to shave, taught me how to put on a shirt properly. It gave me access to everything that he had. You know, I was wearing his sports gear every couple of months. He'd give me, he was sponsored by a lot of, and he'd give me his catalog and just say, look, you know, pick six or seven things that you want. I'll get them ordered for you. Um, so again, for a lad who didn't have anything before that, suddenly to be running around in lotto boots, which were just incredible. Um, no, they were, they were, they were brilliant to me, um, and taught me a lot how to be just more confident about myself, but also to be a decent person, which sounds strange in light of what's coming. Well, it's, it's, you know, certainly seems from what you said, there was a, there was a basic in you that was there to be that polite thing. Like you said, I, I know Billy, I, I quote this so many times, a Billy Connolly thing where he said about, we didn't know we were poor growing up because we didn't know any rich people. You know, he said, we just knew what we knew was around us in the tenements and stuff in Glasgow because of what it was. But you did see this other world and you saw that as well. But uh, I say, do you want to discuss that bit about for the end of how that was for you and how you kind of left it now with those guys where it's at? Because, you know, I don't, with the greatest respect, I think you said this to me when I was still finishing the book today. He said, have you got to that bit yet? And, you know, it was like, oh, OK, I didn't see that coming in lots of ways, but I'll leave that bit to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still it's difficult for me to talk to the fact I've had to do it over the, the last couple of weeks. and. And the fact the book's out as well is, is probably, you know, it, that's the only thing that stops me from really crying when I discuss it. Um, I ended up letting them down. Um, there, there was a period where they were trying to give me independence, um, got me a, a flat living away from themselves, got me a car. Uh, obviously, I was working for Simon. And I didn't see that as them giving me independence. I saw it as them trying to push me away. Because all throughout the relationship, everybody that I was close to had told me I wasn't good enough for them. They'd suddenly see the mask would slip and they'd get rid of me. They'd get tired of me. They couldn't possibly love me. Um, and I had those doubts right throughout, you know, even when I was as close to the players as I was, when I was as close to Scott Gemmell as I was, I never really felt that I fit in that circle, even though they told me to be confident and I belonged. Um, and... In the end, I started going back up to Sunderland pretty often because I had a car um, and I was bringing my mates down to, to have weekends with me. And even there, Freebs, you know, Brian's given us tickets to the game. My mates are in the office. My mates have got run around at the ground. Uh, he's helping us pay for holidays and everything. You said, it, you said that felt a bit like almost you were doing for your mates what they'd done for you. You were kind of going, you know, I can now give people a bit of stuff and show them this other life in a sense. Yeah, I think there's a, again, I don't know if it's in the book or if it got edited. Um, I have read it, but, I, you know, it's in my head so much that I don't know if it got took out. A lot of the dark stuff in Sunderland got took out because the publisher didn't think it was it was relevant to the Brian Clough part of the story. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a scene, you know, where literally like Friday night, Saturday night, a couple of my mates had jobs working as paper boys or, or milk lads. We'd go swimming to the leisure centre and I'd literally have enough just to go swimming and nothing else. Uh, and we are in a wimpy restaurant. Um, and like my best mate at the times bought like a wimpy king size meal, a cheeseburger, chips, milkshake. Everybody's getting whatever they want. And I'm the book. There, yeah, this is in the book. I'm sitting there starving. Uh, and anyway, he's eating everything and he's, he, he's turned around and said, oh, I can't finish this cheeseburger, Craig. Do you want it? And I said, Yeah, please, you know, starving literally. Uh, and he's taken off the top of the bun and licked the cheeseburger all over the place and then put the bun back on top him thinking that that's a joke and it's funny, which it was, you know. Um, but just the feeling that I had there of being totally crushed, totally crushed, just like, you know, what kind of person am I? But what it's a coolness, of- isn't it? 
it's a crawler, yeah. which I think that you said the other end, you've got Scott Gemmell's being lovely and you're at a nice spa and you're going, this kind of isn't my world either. So, and that ends up with a situation where it's stuff with the shop, isn't it, in the end with Simon? Yeah, I, I just, I didn't want anybody else to feel the way I felt and the nice things that I could do for them in terms of giving them sports gear, bringing them down, taking them to games was my way of, you know, making sure that nobody ever felt the way I felt. Um, then my mates moved down from Sunderland. One of my mates has moved down from Sunderland. Uh, I asked them all to come down. One of my mates has moved down permanently. The other two didn't, just kept coming for weekends. Oh, Christ. Uh, and one Christmas, I'm going back down home to, to London. Uh, we used to prepare boxes for the team. I don't know if you've talked about that, where they'd have chocolates, crisps and pop on the team bus. Yeah, you were making the stuff that when you first started out as a little and that's where you were being sent while it's going to have some chocolate and, yeah. that, and you were prepping them. And that came from Simon's shop. Um, so I, I did one of those boxes for my mom, and I promised I'd take sweets back down for Christmas. Um, and I'd got like to the, just to the junction of the M1 past the power station. And I realized I'd left the box and I'm thinking, well, do I go back for it or, or, or do I just carry on? Um, and because I promised it, I went back and I've gone back and I've climbed over my mate's mattress, which was on the floor. He didn't have a bed. He just had a mattress next to me. And I felt something crunch under my feet and I've lifted the mattress up and there's 15 bags of 21 pound coins under his mattress. Um, I've waited for him to come back, confronted him, asked where it came from, and he said it, it, it's been coming from the shop over the last couple of weeks. And instead of doing the, the decent thing, which everything in my heart was telling me to do, um, I think the shitty side of me took over and I, I ended up taking half of it with him. Mm. Um, and then that just basically led to us, over a period of time, badly, badly letting him down by stealing from the shop. But you, we, we've discussed this, and, and I just want to make the point with this, Craig, and I, I think you've been really honest with me, and especially in the book, let alone me, and like I say, I'm no judge and jury on you or anything in my life, but um, it's it's the kind of thing where when I read the book, I, I struggled very hard with with your dad with some of the stuff, like you said about the where you know the penance and stuff from Clough, and they've gone in the booze and God knows what, because it's, it's, a, it's a grown-up more than I see it in lots of ways, whereas I'm not excusing for how people can be in the things that we do, but... I think for the way you write it in the book and explain how it felt and the reasons why and where you're from and all this stuff like that, you're definitely not asking for any sympathy with it. And I'm sure it's a very difficult thing with you because you'll you'll always look at this in different ways and how it was. Um, but as a as a reader, more than anything, let alone somebody who can normally say it's the author, I didn't um, see that as something that I think you've been very, very honest and straight out with it of. But I also think it's something you carry with you. And like I say, it's, it's hopefully this is a thing that you can help other people with while they might see these situations, whatever it might be. But um, is it a cathartic thing in doing that? In a sense, I say I'm not trying to do a deep <laughs> therapizing on you or anything like that, really. But it's it is a it's a twist in the story which makes it very real to me. I thought it would be cathartic um, and I hoped it would be cathartic. But then the other side of that is, you know, while I was writing the book, it took me back to some really dark places because sure. you kind of put them out of your mind. So initially it probably did me more harm than good. Um, the fact that I want to do some good with the, the proceeds of the book might help me. But so far, Fribs, if I'm honest, at every stage I've expected to get a buzz and, and feel a little, little bit better. And so far I haven't had it, not even publication date. Um, what is helping is the, the feedback from people that's definitely helping. Sure. Um, 
but you're okay. not. I don't, I don't think you're asking the book for people to go. Can you all just tell me that was the right thing to do? That's what my point is. You're oh. not anywhere saying that in it, and I think you share. For me as a fan, and I'm sure these other guys will get around to reading it, etc. Will go. You were there in the middle of a time that nostalgically meant a lot to a lot of people, right? And I think you, it's a human thing to error. I think the the sympathy people don't have is when people do it continually, you know. And I think it's when it's a thing where they don't learn from what they do. And I think if if anything, your story is a story of how life can be a hell of a roller coaster. Hate to say the journey thing, and equally that people can you know see what they've done and try and make something of it. It's your life, you know. One of the questions I've got here is. Brian Clough, the Clough family, where's Craig without them or with them, you know, at the end of the day? Because you've said before on other things, you, your life, if you hadn't met them and what happened in those incredible circumstances would be such a different thing. Yeah, and again, at, at all stages, you know, even after the, the falling out, if they'd have done the right thing um, or the, the the thing that they could have easily done, which was get the police involved, then neither me or my friend, by the way, would have had a life after that because we'd have had a criminal record and it's very they different. Have, yeah, they could have shopped you to the, the cops, but they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they basically cut us loose, told me to get myself sorted out and make sure I go and see him. So it's a, it's a really difficult thing because, you know, I've got regrets about not going and fixing things with Brian before he passed away. But then I forced myself once that happened, forced myself to go and talk to the rest of the family. Um, and I think it's difficult for them because you can imagine, you know, there the so many like good memories that both sides have got, I think. For them as but, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I want to do is bring that back up and say sorry. Uh, and it must just be like a horrible way to start a reintroduction. But they've all told me that I, I should forgive myself and that I've got nothing to forgive myself for. But that's not true. You know, what I did is, is basically unjustifiable. It's, it's unforgivable. And the only person who can forgive me is me, if that makes sense. And, so, who, and you say in the book, you asked Simon to write the book. You did things like that. And what was his words to you? Was it you, you know you'll do a good job? Yeah, I mean, they don't like books about his, his dad, that's for sure. No, you're not doing the damn United, that's for certain. No, but there's, there's 38 or 39 books, and I'd always said the only person who should write a book about him now is, is his family. Um, but then the, the other side of the, that, you know, and this is important for me, I don't care what people think of me. I mean, I do care, but I don't care what people think of me after the book. Um, but what I didn't want to do was just because I had screwed up so badly, I didn't want this story not to be known because the beautiful parts of it and the human kindness side of it is so incredible. Oh, completely. so beautiful that that's what I want people to take out of it. Now, if they come out of that thinking, well, you know, you're a little shit, they're entitled to think that, and I wouldn't disagree with them. Yeah, I, I, I can see, I see exactly what you're saying and where it's coming from. But my overall feeling afterwards was I'm on your side. Yeah, and I don't mean versus that. I'm just meant I don't see you as an absolute toe rag who should be thrown in a pit, you know? So I think overall, that's where I'd be looking at that from you. And it brought a lot of joy to me. And it's not just as a nostalgia thing. I forgot the side. It's about human nature. It's about people being right with each other. And what I would say as well is just tell us a bit more about proceeds and stuff, what you're doing as well with the charities. Cause I know you, you were lauding Lisa Fox earlier on when we spoke about her wonderful work, which I'm definitely not going light on, but um, tell us a bit about what the, the proceeds and the thing on the other side of this is. And we'll just get a few more questions from the guys forest related at the end. And uh, uh, just tell us a bit about that first, Craig, if you could. Well, so far, the majority of the advance, I'd like to say it's 100%, but I've had to keep back a little bit to, to pay a deposit on a, a rent um, because I'm not working at the moment. Um, so, so far, the deposit's gone to children's charities, a domestic abuse shelter, a teenage homeless shelter, um, and that's where it's going to continue. Uh, I want to be in a position, and I, I don't know how well sales are going to go. You know, it's gone okay, but it's not spectacular. 
Um, I want to be in a position at the end of it where ideally, even if it's only one person, I'm able to give a kid uh, a better head start in life than they've got now, whether that's through education or continuing support. Uh, you know, a, a kid who's kind of that age who's struggling in, with direction, maybe not knowing where they're going. And I think that would be a brilliant thank you to to Brian for, for what he did for me. If, you know, in a, in a few years, there's somebody walking around saying, because of Brian, by the way, not because of me, you know, it was just me, the book wouldn't be read. Mm. Um, but because of Brian and because of what he did, and because of what's happened with the book, I now have a better life. I think I'd, I'd love for that. And that would probably help me overcome a little bit, although it's never going to disappear. No, of course, that's completely understandable. And it's it's also just a great route to do it. I think overall, it's it's a domino effect of kindness rather than, you know, I've had people discuss it when they've had a bad childhood and then they have a bad one with their kids. And that's a domino effect of despair in a different way. So it's definitely breaking a chain as I see it. And in some ways, see me highly far too frivolous to ask you this. I'm going to ask Dan to talk to us about a Gary Baldy player just because of the structure that I've got in terms of the show. Then I'm going to ask you a couple more questions and we'll let you get about your get about your day in your life and enjoy the rest of your birthday. Uh, Dan, bring us home with that guessing of the Gary Baldy and I'll play some frivolous music in the background now. The the fourth clue on this one, and everyone's actually got it who's, who's on the podcast, so this is for everyone at home. Dan, as I always try to be, I still think I'd have been struggling. Which is awesome. All right. Well, okay. Let's let's get you the, with the fourth one then, Freebs. His, his status at Forest is cemented by a still quoted or chanted rhyming couplet. Yeah, I'd have just guessed Ryan Yates. I got it wrong. Um, I think what's probably best is as this person got it first, they could potentially tell us a story about them too. Would you mind if Craig tells us the answer and tells us, uh, this will be the one person he hasn't got a story about. <laughs> Go on. Craig, can you tell us the answer and uh, a little tale about the person potentially? It's who our Franzi car. It, Dan, is that correct? I'm just it is indeed, yeah. Who are Franzi car? Franz car was that definitely the period where you're there, wasn't it? Yeah, Franzi was brilliant to me as well. You know, there's a, there's a couple of players who were just incredible. Franzi was one. Not too many stories the one i remember is is before the the man united uh quarter final at old trafford i think it was the quarter final might have been the sixth round steve's not um, in <laughs> we we've we've done them one nil and i think parks has scored the goal from a from a franzi cross but anyway before the game franzi sometimes gets nervous uh and i'm in the dressing room with him old trafford you know gold taps and everything it's a really daunting place franzi was a little bit nervous so me and him are in the, they had like stand-up showers, but it was almost like a corridor. And me and him are in the corridor playing one touch in the in the showers and I'm trying to calm him down. Uh, and I'm like going to tell the lads the story about me and Franz playing one touch in the shower. And you can imagine the stick I took about that, uh, especially after the Elton John story I told a, a couple of weeks before that. Um, he used to play football without. No, you'll have to read that one in the book because it definitely wasn't that he was playing in the shower with Elton John. I'll just get that out of the way in case anyone was thinking there was some sort of scandal or anything there, was it, Craig? It was the Elton John stories about. I love Elton John, by the way. And I love so much of the music you mentioned. I was going, oh man, I love that. You know, and Nikita and God knows what. Um, some some amazing football music crossovers in there as well. We're getting offered a piggyback by Elton John. Again, it sounds like it's full of other sort of stories, but it's uh, it's an incredible one anyway, isn't it? I'm not, yeah. I don't want to take any more stories out of the book because I, I get I really do genuinely want everyone to, to read it. Um, 
I think I think the way you know the way we've talked about it, you're getting a little snippet, but you're not getting the story. If that that makes sense, I mean, it's so much deeper than that, you know. I there's, there's a, sometimes we we give away the punchline, but we don't give away the build up. So exactly. I'm all right. I think I think we've done a good level of that because when I started asking you the story of how we tell it, I was thinking. Oh, it's a little bit of a ping pong this because you're going to go off this and off that and round there. But as much as we could, we did it that way. I think there's still enough. There's more than I got before I wanted to read it, Craig. I was just like these two kids who met Brian Clough. So I'm, you know, and it's 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 better to have it enveloped that way. Um, some people who have a couple more things to ask you is uh, Dan, Stephen, potentially. So I don't know. I might throw under the bus here. Uh, I'm going to point at you, Mr. Corey. Got a question for uh, Craig here. Okay, dokie, Craig. Um, it's taken you sort of 16 years. To, to bring the book to sort of fruition and, and to finish it. Um, were there times where you sort of just thought, you know what, no, I'm, I'm going to bin this. And, and, and what, what were the reasons if, if, if that was the case? Uh, two reasons. First, it's an unbelievably difficult process. I think early on I was going to self-publish and I, I, you know, I was naive. I mean, I think I'm the best in the world at everything. Um, and you, you try and do things in the publishing world and it was difficult. I chose a couple of wrong partners. Um, things just took much, much longer. But I, I think the overriding reason why I struggled more than anything else is because I could uh, never, ever find a way to write the letdown chapter. I just couldn't bring myself to do it, you know. And I'd worked out early that if I was going to tell the story, I've got to be honest about all aspects of it, and it wouldn't be right to to release it without discussing that. And I just couldn't do it. Every time I tried, I'd, I'd literally break down. Um, and that's where Tim Rich has to get a lot of credit because, the, fair enough, the book was predominantly written, um, but Tim Rich has come in and, and Tim's the ghost rider on it. Um, Tim Rich has come in and, you know, he's got he's got rid of a lot of the waffle. He's got rid of a lot of the unnecessary stuff that needs to be in there. He's given it a beautiful flow, um, but he's also been, you know, fundamental in terms of getting me through that period so that we could both write about that chapter. And I think once that chapter was written and written in a way that I'm not saying it's tasteful, but I was, I was comfortable with it, um, that made it easier to move forward. But it, it's, it, it's been a, there have probably been four or five times where I've left it in the drawer for two years and not felt I could, I could pick it back up. I've just got a, I've got a quick one here because we asked some people online as well as one that stood out from uh, Ian Michael Jenkins, otherwise known as at Jenks with an X 1968, uh, who's definitely been sharing and retweeting all your stuff that's come through, Craig. So I think he's read the book, et cetera, et cetera. He said, my question is, if you had been in a similar circumstances, but your dad was, I mean, I, I kind of, I think it's a slightly different way he said it because it says kind, loving and supportive. But I think there's definitely times in the book you do think your dad is that way. Uh, do you think you'd have been so drawn to Brian Clough? Is he in some way a surrogate heroic father figure that none of us ever had? He's put it as that way. How would you sort of reply to that? Two, this is going to sound horrible, but two similar characters in a way. They're both larger than life, both got charisma. Um, but absolutely opposite. You talk about my dad being kind, loving and supportive. No. He wasn't. He was just unbelievably critical with everything. I mentioned I was a decent runner, um, and I used to run cross country for the school. But they'd keep me off. They'd keep me off school to go and do jobs and messages, and that could be, you know, thieving, picking up drugs. Mm. It could be anything, and I'd stay off for like three or four weeks. So anyway, it's the cross country championship. I've gone back to school for the first time in four weeks. The PE, PE teachers told me I'm not on the team because I'm not at school. The rest of the team have got together and said, look. You know, he's our best runner. We want him to run. So one of the lads ended up dropping out. 
and I've ended up running the cross country race, but I hadn't eaten for two and a half days. Literally nothing, you know, all I'd had for, for the last two and a half days was a couple of sherbet lemons that I'd got off my mate. And I'm doing this cross-country cross, cross race. I'm racing against a lad called Gavin Foster. And we're coming around the last corner, um, neck and neck. Uh, and, I mean, it's just, it's literally, it's a, it's a really tight finish. I'm not saying he's goofy, but going into the last half meter, we were level, and his teeth beat me by three meters. Right. Uh, and I've gone back home and I've said to my dad, you know, dad, bloody hell, you're not going to believe it. I finished second. And he's turned around and he said, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. What good is second? Don't come to me and talk about second. You know, who remembers second in the Olympics in 1980? And when I couldn't tell him, he said, exactly. He said, you know, there, there's no point. He said, you're yeah. basically a disgrace. And I told Brian the same story. And Brian was like, just, you know, oh, my God, son, that's absolutely brilliant. He came second out of 120 people. That's absolutely superb. Keep going and stick at it. So they were totally opposite because my dad would destroy me. And then Brian would, like, do everything to tell me that what I was doing was, was brilliant and fantastic. Um, but also, I didn't realize he was a father figure. He certainly didn't take that role actively. You know, it was just natural to him, Brian. You know, he wanted to look after people. He wanted to to, to pick them up and, and give them a boost. He also knew how to knock you down when he wanted to. But um, I didn't realize he was a father figure until much, much later on when I started thinking about what he taught me and, and how he taught me to be. And you can, um, you can understand why that kind of attitude got players from the third division or reserve squads to be European champions, I guess. Fribs, I used to see this. I think people think it's a myth, but I also think, you know, I've watched a couple of the old Forest players interviews, Robertson, O'Neill and people like that, you know. I was in a dressing room and I could literally see a player grow an inch with something he said. And it, it's not bullshit. It's literally, you could see them. Puff the chest about the hand signal. Robbo yeah. was about the hand signal. Or even just, you know, something stupid, like we're playing QPR at um, uh, Loftus Road and uh, Gary Parker's playing. It's just before the England squad's going to be announced and there's talk about getting Ray Wilkins back. Um, and Brian's just turned around to, 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 he used to call him nosy, but he's turned around to Gary Parker and said, son, he said, all this talk about having Ray Wilkins back, I'd have you in the sights seven days a week and twice on a Sunday. You're much better than he is. Now go out and show it. And Parks literally... Parks wasn't an overconfident lad, but he, you know, he was brilliant for us during that period. He literally just stuck his, he had a big chest anyway, but he stuck his chest out and went out and he was superb. And Brian could do that with just, you know, half a sentence or, or a look or exactly like that, that thumbs up or the okay sign. And it wasn't a myth. Like I say, we saw Parker's chest when Gaza tried to stamp his foot straight through. Roger Milford, you and I share a, a, a very much similar opinion on Roger Milford, which I'm sure a lot of us do. Um, so again, we, I almost feel like we should do another one of these, just talk about stories from this time. Because if you've gone from like 84 to, what is it, it's about early 90s, there's so many players I just want to know things about and what I do and go, you know, these ones I've got here going, who was the warmest player? Who was the coldest? Who do you think was a bit of a dick? All this kind of stuff. There's so many things I want to ask you about the kits and go, have you got some of them kits still? Because there wasn't like, there was a whole away kit, like the skull one that you had and your dad sold it or something. I was like, oh no, you'd make so much money these days with them kits alone. The one I'm going to ask you is tied in before I've got one more from each of the guys is to do with uh, Nigel because it's to do with father sons in lots of ways because you said about your dad and the difference in the way that Brian spoke to you to your dad. You also mentioned in the story without ruining it too much and it kind of got me a bit with this one you said about how brian used to show this picture of nigel scoring a header 
and he, Simon has saw the same thing and went, what do you think I like about that sort of thing? I'm probably misquoting. And you, and he said, it's eyes open. And he was proud of Nigel for having his eyes open, jumping in where his head was going near these feet. But you also said that he hardly ever told Nigel, if at all, that he was proud of him. He was just our number nine. He was the striker, whatever it was. Um, do you Did you think that Nigel was just meant to know? Or do you think Nigel picked up a lot of how much his dad was proud of him, second or third hand after his passing, potentially? I mean, do you do you see that as a thing? Because obviously you've got that relationship with your dad and then that tie-in with Brian as well. But I've often wondered that about the relationship with Nigel and Brian, that he was always so proud of him. Did he tell him? It's a really difficult thing for me to talk about because, you know, th- their relationship is, it, it's private. what you'd seen, I guess. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to try and tell you to tell us. I what know, but it's like, you know, I, I can't really speak for Nigel. I've listened to a couple of his interviews later on in life where he's he's talked about, you know, his dad never gave him praise and his dad used to call him the number nine and things. And it's difficult for me to talk about that because I think, you know, the, the walks around the cricket ground, the drive into the car, the meetings in the office, all I ever saw, Brian, apart from when he was talking to journalists, was him gush about how proud he was of Nigel as a player and as a person. But to add, um, were you ever told not to tell that to Nigel, put it that way? You ever said, don't tell him that? Or was it just an unspoken thing? No, I was People might go off and go, oh, yeah, that thinks you're great. You know what I mean? No, I was I was never told, but also, you know, very early on I was told from from actually from Nigel that whatever gets discussed in the bus or in the dressing room stays on the bus or in the dressing room. Yeah. And that's one of the rules about you being with us. So even if I did hear things, you know, a couple of the times I always remember Carl Tyler coming up after we signed Tyler from Barnsley and he wasn't getting the side. And Carl Tyler coming up and asking me, Does the gaffer not like me? And I'm like, bloody hell, Carl, you know. I, First of all, I don't really know. But secondly, just keep smiling, keep working hard. He likes people who smile. I don't think he doesn't like you. He just, at, at that point, Tyler wasn't very good. Um, but I would never, I, even if Brian had told me something, you know, I would never, ever go to a player and, and tell him what he'd said. Definitely. Last of all, Nigel. But I, I also think that, you know, I hope, this is one thing that I hope, I hope that either at some point later on in life or, even then, Nigel knew. I hope he knew, because it, 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 Nigel was just, you know, in that period, he was in, he used to get lumps kicked out of him. He'd, he'd play injured so many times. He was so brave, but his, his passing was incredible. You know, the goals he scored were were phenomenal. And, and when you think about it, for somebody who signed for free, doesn't get uh, enough credit for me. I, I, I mean, I saw more the back end of him with Forrest, but uh, even watching that Tottenham game today, he gets a right old crack. Uh, they'll be getting kicked everywhere and it's you know it, it definitely probably Terry Fennick the cheating it was man. I think it was yeah I think it was um, right I'm going to try and wrap it up with the guys Lisa uh, got anything for us yeah I know, I know from reading the, the the bits of the book that I have and, and obviously seeing the interviews and everything that you still follow um, Nigel and were at Burton watching him when he was doing his job there doing his thing there and now he's at Mansfield uh, what other similarities do you see with him in the management side to his dad that you think you can tell that he's a cloth? I think there's more of him than he gets credit for. Uh, and again, you know, I don't know Nigel that well these days. I, I made a mistake a couple of years ago saying, Nigel, I know you. And the truth is, I don't know him as well now as I used to. But I watch his body language a lot. Obviously, I listen to all of his interviews. Uh, and he's definitely got more of his dad's traits. You know, he's 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 got a quip here and there. He's maybe not as 
is quickly naturally funny, but he is a very like dryly funny bloke. It's the way he talks to the players. There's just nothing, you know, anything that needs to be said, he says it. Um, and I don't think that always goes down well in today's world. I think players are a little bit uh, mollycoddled these days, you know, and you can't be direct, but he gives them praise when they should have praise. He point out the deficiencies when, you know, when they haven't played well. Um, I was talking to Freebs earlier about the the interview about Elliot Hewitt, uh, where he just he'd had an absolute nightmare. And as a as a normal fan, I'm watching the game and I'm screaming, bloody hell, Elliot, you know, flatten him, foul him, get a yellow card, do anything, just touch him. And he didn't go near the lad all game. And we ended up losing that game three two. And now I just come out and done a done an interview that just absolutely smacks of his dad. You know, just doing yeah, a couple harsh, of comments. By modern standards, wasn't it? It was great to see. It, but it had me it had me chuckling and thinking, yeah, bloody hell, you know, that that's that's his dad all over. Um but I, I think it's that. I also think the way he treats his players and looks after them, he's very loyal. Uh I think that comes from him being a player. And and maybe even the way he was trapped with his transfer at Forest, where they, they ended up taking him to a tribunal. I think he errs on the player's side. So if a player deserves a move, he won't hold them back. Um, he won't ask for ridiculous money, uh, things like that. If a player's ready for a move, he'll tell them. You know, you've, you've got like, for example, and thanks for not mentioning the derby period because it still gets stuck in my throat. Can't you've got a player like John Braford, who's absolutely brilliant and at that point was too good. Um, and he's the one who goes to Brayford and said, "Listen, you know, it's it's time you it's time you stepped up a level." So he's like that. He looks after the players really, really well. He's brutally honest, um, and he's a little bit. If I'm being honest, he's a little bit old school. But I love that, whereas some people don't. Yeah, we were saying earlier on. We think he's right on the cusp of. We've had it with Houston this year, saying is that an older thing now, or Warnock this year, and all these kind of managers, or Mick McCarthy. My friend's a Cardiff fan, going like it just seems like a different age compared to Cooper and stuff you got now. But I think Nigel seems modernish, but also on the cusp of definitely being the other end of it. It's hard to say. Um, I'm gonna go to Dan then Steve, and then we're done. So uh, Dan, uh, I don't know if you told me you had any more questions. I've just gone make one up, Dan, quick. No, I've, I've got I've got plenty, but I'll, I'll oh, stick to just maybe episode two. Uh, yeah, exactly. Be, before I get into the question, just just a quick comment, Craig. So I, I haven't read the book in full yet. I've got someone bringing it over for me soon, so I'm, this has kind of wet my appetite for it. But from from what we've discussed so far, um, of course, it's a it's a book that a lot of Forest fans will want to read because of Brian Clough, right? Um, but I just have to say it's extremely brave to put yourself out like this, like in terms of personal skeletons in the closet, everyone has them to, to some degree. And I can't imagine myself ever putting myself out like that. So first of all, just um, you don't need me to tell you, but um, I think you should be extremely proud of the book and, and your kind of bravery to, to put it together as well. So thank you for doing so. Um, in terms of, no, of course. Um, in terms of the question, probably something a bit more lighthearted like every forest fan kind of wants to be in the dressing room after a big win or something like that what's your when people say to you oh yeah you were you were in the you know around the forest team for for that period of time what's the one memory that sticks out as like the happiest moment for you when you were just kind of lost in that that day's football or there was a you know kind of a a celebratory atmosphere in the dressing room what's the what's the one that's kind of vivid in your memory oh god yeah you'd have to i think people would guess at wembley um, the Luton game, you know, where, where again, not just not just the dressing room, but the fact we won a cup first time for ages. I'm on the team bus while I celebrate and going home. 
I'm back in Brian's house eating fish and chips with him while he puts his his trophy on the tally. So hold on, he's, got the, he's having fish and chips with the league cup on the on the tally. Yeah, with his feet up in his reclining chair because that's what he'd done whenever in in seventy nine eighty as well when he won his trophies then. Um, we go to Mr. Moe's in Alastry, which is his local fish shop, and just buy up whatever's left. And the, the whole family's just sitting around with his... But just beautiful. But the weird thing is, is no, the, the best memories for me are the semifinals. Literally, the semifinals. Or even probably one of the highlights was Arsenal, where we did him 2-1. Uh, Wilco, Paul Wilkinson, and then the, the Rice Chip. Which Ryan Rice scored a goal for Forest, did he? I never, you never hear about oh, that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's ironic rather than anything else. Yeah. No, no, just, no. But you're at that. You're at, you were you were involved in that one, weren't you? Well, I was in the dugout. Yeah. Uh, and you know the 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 weird thing is is uh, Wilkinson was brilliant and underrated. Probably Nigel's favourite partner, I would say, because he used to do a lot of the running. Um, but we'd gone we'd gone two 0 up, and then they got one back, and probably peppered us for the last five or ten. But to go away to Highbury and, and win that 2-1 uh, was just unbelievable. And the atmosphere after, you know, you know where players know where they've worked the, the boils off. Mm. Um, and they know when they've, they've secured an important win. The Man United win, 1-0 away, was absolutely incredible. Uh, the Spurs win, the, the 2-1 in the, in, the, um, in the semi-final. But I remember as well, we beat them 3-2. Uh, where I think Hodgie and Jemson, Hodgie got one and Jemson got two. We beat them 3-2 in the, might have been the quarterfinal to get the semifinal against Bristol City. And that was an incredible day. Um, my favourite ever game, which is really weird, is the 3-2 away to Huddersfield with um, Tommy Gaynor scoring from inside his own half. Went on, like, just, if you can ever find it on YouTube, I haven't been able to, but... All, all three of the goals were incredible, world, world-class goals. Uh, and it's little things like that. Like Brian always used to say, you know, the semifinals and the finals are important, but it's actually the tough little first-round games and the second-round games that you've got to overcome. So I, I really appreciate, appreciated those, and I used to love midweek floodlit games. But well, we used to appreciate them too, Craig. Even in my sort of thirty years of sporting forest, I don't see as many of them. When you mention some of them teams and the names, it's like going, "Yeah, God, I used to remember that." That was so. <laughs> right, probably even more so. I'm going to uh, round it up with uh, Mr. Steve Corey. Like I said, there's, there's I'm so many here. I'm not even going into about uh, how many of them kits have you still got. Uh, what was your favorite bit of merchandise you ever got? Got how much have you still got? Again, if any of you uh, listening to the pod have got any questions, by all means, add them on the bottom of this uh, pod tweet we've done, and uh, we'll tag Craig in as we'll see how many of those he can answer for you that aren't giving away anything in the book. And potentially, maybe if there's enough of those coming through, we might try and get Craig to come back and answer, do a, a you know, 1987 season with Craig. Uh, but before we do do all that business and do, 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 I'm going to hand over to Mr. Steve Corey for a final question. Make it a good one, Steve. You're the last one. Well, funny enough, I've got a question, but touching on that um, Huddersfield, I interviewed Tommy Gaynor about uh, two, three years ago. And he said that after the game, I don't know whether you remember this, he said um, he was sort of, for Clough to bring him down to earth, he said, I don't know whether he got man of the match or whatever, but he was in like the players lounge at Huddersfield at Leeds Road. And um, I think it was Owen Hand, who used to be the island manager, turned to uh, Gaynor and he said, is that your coach? And um, they apparently buggered off. They just drove off. Clough, Clough said like, you know, <laughs> I don't know whether you remember this, but Gaynor said like, 
to it to run out of the ground. <laughs> but, I um, he, was, he was full of tricks like that, Steve. I mean, he was really full of tricks like that. You know, there'd, there'd be times where the players would be waiting at the, the A52, San Diego to get picked up and he'd just drive past. <laughs> hey, hang on a second. We might need them both for today. He was just, I mean, he was a really, honestly, I, I, I know obviously there's a lot of affection and a lot of love from him from, from you lot and rightly so. He was a really, really funny man. I mean, just incredibly funny. He could literally have a room any room he walked into, we could have him in stitches. Tommy used to smoke um, and used to have a, a sneaky uh, a sneaky fag after the end of the game. And Albert, do you, you probably remember Albert Kershaw, Steve, the coach driver? Yes, yeah, yes. I did, at first I didn't, so, yeah. So he was the only one who was typically allowed to smoke. Brian used to let him stop and, and Albert would have to sneak Tommy a, a fag and, and that used to like, really annoy Brian but there's an interest there's an interesting story about Tommy again just a brilliant bloke um, but there's an interesting story about Tommy after he got his hat-trick against Chester uh, and then Brian left him out of the next league lane yes yeah and um, when I interviewed Tommy he, he he made reference to that he said he was furious yeah, absolutely furious uh, yeah so uh, well, he, he didn't yeah, act, you he, just corroborated he did, it he didn't act so furious when he went to Brian's office <laughs> <laughs> I, get, yeah, I, I just t- t- Tommy Tommy a great bloke and if you think about it you know and I often do the second greatest team he built I mean how much did Tommy Gaynor cost 35 40 grand 25 grand from Doncaster I think Parker 275 Brian Laws 325 Chapman 450 Webby 400 all cheaper than P- Francis PSE 300 alongside Ian Butterworth uh, you know Woney on a, on a free I think some of the players he signed and the team he built off off the back of basically, I'm not going to say like a bunch of ragtags because they weren't, they were great players. But it, the team he built was just sensational. And, and with the homegrown players coming through as well, I mean, that time was just unreal. And those Absolutely kits, unreal. skull kits as well. <laughs> we talk about the classic shirts. I mean, it's, it does, it does. One thing, I, again, randomly out of all the things in the book that I'm going to end this with, I didn't know there was such a thing as a whatever it was credit trophy that Forest beat Sheffield Wednesday 3 0 in the final at Wembley. I had no idea about that. I had to YouTube that. My mate's a Wednesday fan. I was going, we beat you 3 0 at Wembley in a final that no one really gave a crap about. It's up there with ZDS in terms of the ones that I was going, random cups Forest have won. But if anything else, Craig, thank you for letting me know about that random trophy during the centenary year. Craig, you didn't let Dan ask, Dan, um, Steve ask his question. I rabbited for too long. Sorry, Steve. No, it was fine. I mean, uh, you know what? We went off on the on the Tommy tangent, which was even better. Um, so, of all the things you know, we could have ended on, we ended on Tommy. Was Tommy Gainer? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I, I, I die a happy man. That's, Are you a uh, satisfied man with your Tommy Gainer answer? Yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant. No. Like I say, Craig, if you, if you know, maybe I said, I'm sure there's so many different things people listening to this are going to want to ask you and go about and. And it, I know it, you know, it feels like a bit of a, you know, I've got to answer all these things about these forest things, but it, it, there's so much that we couldn't ever see or do. Even silly thing, like I say, well, I found the video today of the game that I met Cluffy at and he's wearing the top that I've only ever seen in a photograph and I'm seeing him move around in it. I'm going, 
he'd met me like an hour before then and it's all this crazy stuff so again anyone i'm sure uh you know we'll say we'll tag craig and do it i cannot thank you enough for joining us today and doing our quiz and oh the wonderful guest of garibaldi um and you know say sharing a big part of what is a well it's, it's your life man at the end of the day and i wish you every success with it anytime you want to come and have a chat with us in the show you're more than welcome whether it's elton john and piggybacks or if it's uh brian ferry that, that brian ferry one got me as well read the book guys go out and get it it's available on kindle available on audio as well and and i'm sure we can put a link in here of all the different places you can and different links to it as well, Craig. But thank you so much for your time. Uh, it goes without saying, Dan, Lisa, Steve, thank you again for joining. Absolutely wonderful as always. And I'm sure you'll join me in doing a little ripple of applause between us for uh, for Craig. That's only four people. I've loved it. I've loved it, honestly. Thank you very much for having me. It's been really nice. You know, I, I love reminiscing about those times. You never forget them. So you've given me so much time. I appreciate it. You've all been lovely. Uh, hey, don't. Yeah, Listen, it's it's brought my this week of me making sure one of us got to the end, got through, so we could tell you the whole thing. Not because everyone's had different stuff on, and I've had the ones had the time, and I wanted to be as professional as I could and get with it. And I've really, really enjoyed it. And I was almost a bit sad it had ended. Um, so let's not make it. And so, if you ever want to come on and chat with us more, if anybody wants to know anything more about it, we'll put all the details in there. Thank you so much. Good luck to Forest this week, and uh, I say final one, Craig. Thank you very much, and we'll see you all next time. Cheers. Thanks, Craig. Cheers. Bye.